You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Greetings, everyone. This is another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today my guest, his name is Scott DeLong. We're going to have an interesting discussion about leadership, and I reached out to Scott because he is releasing a new book, and I I just absolutely love the title of it. It's simply, I Thought I Was a Leader. And boy, if that doesn't sum up uh, discussions that I get to have with a lot of clients and, and people around the globe and in business, it's a, it's a great theme and something that I, I guess you have to have high emotional intelligence to be willing to ask that question. But uh, we'll get into that in more detail. Scott, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Doug. I appreciate you having me on. I am very intrigued, and I want to dive right in and start. Uh, why that title, and where did all that come from? Wow. Well, great. Um, I, I did. I, I grew up in leadership positions, whether it was in the sports field or in my initial businesses, always thinking that I'm in charge. I was always the captain of my baseball team. I played baseball at a very high level, and I was always chosen as a captain, and if it wasn't chosen, it became a de facto, de facto captain because just the, the leadership things that I thought that I was doing. And um, it wasn't until I turned around 50 where I hit a realization that what I was doing was more managing rather than leading, directing rather than leading. And, um, and, it, and it came from a couple things. It, 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 it really came to me as a point where I was not getting exactly what I want. My businesses were successful. Uh, the things that I wanted to do, I was always able to do. All that worked out pretty good. The problem was that I wasn't developing the kind of relationships that I was looking for, whether from the folks that were working with me, for me, vendors, customers, all of that. I really believe in, in developing relationships and I wasn't getting that. I was getting relationships with when I could do something for somebody. People would want to be around me. When I was no longer able to do those things or they didn't need those things, they weren't hanging out. They weren't around. And um, so I started looking at that. And started. Um, uh, uh, I went back to school. I ended up getting a doctorate in leadership studies. Uh, I had to get a master's degree first in the same in the same category, and then the doctorate. But that was only part of the journey. I'd also been a part of a group called Entrepreneur Organization. An entrepreneur organization is a really cool concept where you get a, a group of people in a room and you talk about, you know, feelings, business people, mostly men, mostly men close to my age talking about feelings, something we didn't grow up with, right? But right. I learned a lot from that. Right. And unfortunately, <laughs> we also had another situation and it's took this trifecta for this to hit me well enough. But we had a, a son who was struggling with addiction issues and my wife and I were going to Al-Anon and Naranon meetings. And I saw this format of, of small groups sharing deeply. And three words came up to me with this trifecta of the educational portion, entrepreneur organization, and the Alan on Naranon concept, three words just kept circling in my mind that 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 have made the principal section of my life and the changes that I've been attempting to make and working towards very hard that I didn't grow up with. And they were humility, 
empathy, and vulnerability. Not typically three words that you would associate with leadership. Typical command and control leaders where you have George Patton or, or um, uh, you know, some of the old Henry Ford kind of folks where they would just be leaders out of sheer force and demand. These are more drawing people towards you. And what I found in the last 13 years of this journey that I've been on is that those are the three most important characteristics in my leadership that have not only developed, allowed me to become a better leader. And by better leader, I mean leading rather than having to manage. The more I lead, the less I have to manage to get the things done. And they've also developed stronger and deeper relationships with people, both at work and at, and in my yeah. personal life. Yeah, it say works those, in both places. Say those three again: humility, empathy, vulnerability. Love it. Love now, it. granted, I'm still working hard on all three, but I have to work even harder on the humility piece. That is not the one that I grasp as fast. Um, and, and, and I'm working on it, right? It's trying to work between this self-promotion to sell a book and sell a business and all that at the same time being this humble servant type leader. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm still navigating and working on. But is it is a, on my agenda. It, it is on is my a, radar. That is a definite conundrum. Uh, yeah. know, being that force that can go sell a product or sell a concept or, you know, sell a business and yet have that level of humility when it comes to you know building those relationships you're talking about and, yeah. and that 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 meaningful well there's a lot packed into that and i guess let me start on one particular thing that you said you know sure. a, a lot of business leadership has a legacy in command and control and yeah. um, i happen to have just written an article recently in my blog where I was advocating that we need to abolish command and control, Absolutely. and um, and and I I did in in my writing I did make the one exception I said there are moments when you want command and control and I use the example if I have to ever have heart surgery I want my heart surgeon to be an absolute command and control of that operating room. <laughs> so I, I I believe that as well. So when you said abolish, I'm gonna, I was going to challenge that a little bit because you can't necessarily abolish it. <laughs> On my example that I use is if, if the uh, building is burning down, I'm not going to form a committee. Yeah. We're going to make some decisions. Doug, you dial 911. Sally, you take the team and walk out that door over there. Uh, I'm going to be working on CPR on this part. Right? The command and control is necessary in two places, in an emergency and sometimes when time is of the essence. Yeah. Because this sort style of leadership that I'm talking about takes time. Yeah. It takes time to build collaboration, commitment, teamwork. It takes more time than for just me to say, let's do this and go forward. So what have you been able to do so far? You've had this revelation. You say you've been on this journey for 13 years. Yep. Uh, what have you been able to do to sort of, uh, I'll, I'll use the word, evangelize this idea of what leadership really ought to involve? Well, I do it in my work. So I have a company called Lead Goals. And what we do is leadership training, uh, communication training. And what I've found is that, so I'll, let me take a step back. My intention of building that company is to get people that look like me, 60-year-old 
business leader, white business leaders, right, to see things differently. That was my original intention. Wait, this revelation hit me. Others are going to want to see this as well. What I've come to find out is that many of these leaders are hiring me to fix their people. And so I have a lot more clients in the vice president uh, offices now than I do the C-level. All the C-level people need this concept and this work. They're, they're getting their vice presidents. And I'm fine with that because these are the people that are going to be the next generation that, that are aspiring to be the C-level. So, so I've been able to <clears throat> gather a following of folks that just believe. In fact, some of my clients tell me in reverse, before they go make decisions, they run it by this fictitious board of directors that they have in their mind. And they ask themselves, what would Scott say? And it's so cool when they tell me that. It's like, Great, because what I would say is include. That's right. what I would say. Let's include people yeah. wherever we can. And so I've been getting a lot of evangelizing has been easy to come by because a lot of my clients are in their 40s. They're not in their 60s. I'm still working on those that are in the 60s because they're the barriers and they're the blocks, right? And I'm, I still want us, the people you know that, that grew up the way I did, it's been very successful, certainly, right? They've gotten to that sea level. They've been able to do these things, but I can almost guarantee there's something missing in their life. Maybe their business is doing okay, but maybe it's high turnover because they're not getting the commitment that they're looking for. Or maybe it's divorces, or maybe it's the kids being estranged or whatever those things are. What I'm suggesting is this style of leadership rounds a human being out. You can still be successful. I work more on effectiveness than I do efficiency. And business is always run on efficiency. But I'm getting people to, to, to convert that into effectiveness. Effectiveness can be efficient, certainly. But it, what it means is part of the rest of our task of being a leader is to build future leaders yeah. and to show the path <clears throat> for those folks is much more effective because you know my, my six vice presidents can do so much more than I can just do by myself. Why not empower them to empower others below them and continue that that pathway and get more and more and more done? It becomes effective. Yeah, you know, you you touched on in in the early comments the idea of of being an of an effective, productive manager and thinking you're a leader doing it. And I, I think there are many that do that. And I often will start a client engagement with asking them the question. Well, I used to ask the question, do you think there's a difference between management and leadership? Yeah. And what I learned real quick is for whatever enlightenment has happened in the last five to 10 years, Everybody unilaterally agrees, yes, there is a difference. Yeah, it's good. Uh, used to, they weren't sure, but now right. they are. Right. Now, they, now they believe there's a difference. So the real question becomes, what is the difference? And, you know, what do you understand or think about that difference? And I, I make the point, I've certainly known people that have been managers their whole life. So... They achieved goals, they produced the numbers, companies were, quote, successful. But to your point, 
you know, when you really lift the cover, lift the hood and look under the hood, you realize there's high turnover. The, the, the general morale is not what it could be. People feel stressed. They feel on the brink of burnout, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's the byproduct of just keeping the pedal to the metal as a manager and not ever venturing into the leadership realm. So I think a few things about that. The, 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 when you were talking about, you know, they're they're efficient and they and and the people. The problem with that that model is that people are coming to work then for their paycheck. Right. Nothing wrong with getting paid properly for your work. No question about that. We have to do that. People need to make a living. But I think the best employees are the ones that are on Sunday night looking forward to getting to work on Monday because that's where their tribe is. Whether it's remote or in person, doesn't matter. That's where my tribe is. So these are my people. These are the things that we do this together. Now, and they also look forward to Friday afternoon when it's quitting time and they get a weekend off that they get to go do their things. To me, those are the, those are the employees that I'm looking for right now, not only from them, but I need to create that space so that they can feel that. It's yeah. part of my job. So one of the differences that I see between management and leadership, and there's a there's a I have a whole list in the book we talk about, but one that I'd really like to to get people to start thinking about is the difference between motivation, which is old school style, hey, I will pay you this if you do that, or yeah. I'll quit beating you with this stick if you stop doing that, right? So the the carrots and sticks concept, as opposed motivation as opposed to inspiration. Yep. creating an intrinsic want and desire to do the thing. And, and it's while I cannot create that intrinsic within somebody else, I can certainly provide the space for it and be the inspiration for that. And I think that's my job. Well, and I think if, if as a leader, you've created that space and have that dynamic going on, what I believe happens is there for all of us walking the globe, showing up for work, we have at least two gears we operate in. We, we, we operate in a primary gear that allows us to perform at the job minimum. You know, whatever the job requires, basically, there's a, there's a hum and a motor for getting that done. But we have a second gear is where this discretionary effort kicks in, this 110%, the 120% effort. And when you've created a space that you're describing as a leader, people are more willing to bring and tap into that discretionary effort. And it shows up with things like, hey, boss, I just learned that Sally's got a problem. She needs to go take care of her kid. I can cover for her. You don't even have to make a decision. Just let her go. I'll, I'll, I'll got you. I got, a, I got her back. You know, we'll get this done. And that's a discretionary action on that employee's part to be able to do that. It is. It's their choice, but I can help inspire that. I mean, and I think with one simple question, that when I when I'm, you know, laying out jobs and job descriptions and 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 tasks that people need to do, and which you know you still have to do that. You can't just be this mythical leader and everything happens. There still has to be a plan and action. But but I think there's one question that I can always ask, or or should always be able to ask that helps them get to that space as well. And that is this: How can I help? Mm -hmm. How can I help? Well, can you what that does for people? 
The answer is almost always, no, no, I got this. Don't worry about it. I got it. I'll let you know when I need your help. But the, the offer, the offer is accepted into their heart, their soul. It really is. Yeah. I've seen my willingness, my, 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 my willingness is appreciated at that point. And I think whether I'm the CEO and then there's a vice president that asks their director, how can I help? And the director asking their manager, here's what we need to do. How can I help? What do you need? Right? So that those become very important. They're not tricks, but they are tools. Um, and it's a sincere offer. I'm not going to yeah. ask you, yeah. how can I help you? Give me something and say, no, nah, I can't do that. My, I got to be willing to back it up. Right. You got to right. be willing to back it up. Right. So, right. So, uh, no, I, so I agree. I think that's a big part of it is, is that, uh, and I like your words, that sincere offer to be that guy that can help. And, you know, some argue that's one of the attributes of leadership, that you clear the roadblocks that your people are going to run into. Very, very few other attributes you need. Clear the roadblocks and provide the tools. Right. Sometimes those tools are hard skills. You may need this computer program or whatever, but a lot of times they're the soft skills or, or tools that I can be providing. This, this concept of communication, leadership, building trust, helping develop teams. Those are all soft skills. Yeah. And those yeah. are those are the mark of leaders versus managers. Managers use the tools, the hard, the hard tools. Here's this tool. Here's this time. Here's this money. Here's this kind of thing. Whereas the leader is going to work more on the soft skills. Let's talk about that idea of building trust. A lot has been written lately. Uh, uh, a colleague and I even released our own book last year about the whole idea of how to build trust in a team. Mm -hmm. And for us, it, we had been using this program for decades and just felt that it was necessary to bring it forward and freshen it up a little bit. And it's a six-part model, and we can go into that another way, another time. But what ended up happening uh, as we were developing the book, Google released their infamous Project Aristotle, where they studied the difference in high-performing teams, and they popularized the phrase psychological safety is yeah. the space. Yep. And you're talking about creating a space, and in Google's terms, it's the space where psychological safety exists, and that means I can show up, I can speak my piece, I'm not going to get embarrassed or ridiculed or challenged. Um, I, well, I might get challenged in that we'll have an open discussion, but sure. I'm not going to get I'm not going to get condemned for what I'm thinking. Yeah. So Amy Edmondson from Harvard writes a lot about psychological safety, and and then there's somebody, the, uh, a guy named Dr. Timothy Clark, that wrote the four stages of psychological safety that I like to follow. And there, and in his model, the four stages are inclusion, making sure that we welcome people into the group, um, learning safety. There are no dumb questions. The question is asked because they need an answer to it. Right. The next one is contribution that I can be able to provide my thoughts to this discussion. And the other end is challenge, being the challenger. I don't see it that way. What about this, right? Saying, I'm not sure boss that you're right. And psychological safety broken down to very simple terms is that people can then speak their mind without fear of ridicule. Right. The leader needs to create the space, but anybody on a team can ruin the psychological safety. I'll give you an example. 
if there were six of us sitting here talking right now and one person over to my left was rolling their eye, you might be the boss, right? And you're nodding in agreement with what I'm saying, but someone over here is rolling their eyes like, oh, there he goes again, right? That's going to break the safety down on this team. And I may not be as open in the future as I was right now because that person over there stopped the safety from being transpired throughout this entire team or yeah. entire organization. <clears throat> so while the leader needs to create it, anyone on the team can ruin it. I, uh, I've told this story before. Uh, I, I was doing a team engagement at one of the large oil companies and um, we had done a team assessment survey of how the team was operating and so forth. And when we got the results, it was a classic floor, four blocker. And there were a lot of dots in the upper right-hand quadrant, which suggested high performing, high trust, the whole thing. But there was one dot way off to the side. And uh, we we got to the team meeting and, and opened up that book. And one guy over in the corner, as you said, raised his hand and said, let's don't spend any time dwelling on this. I'm this dot over here in the corner. I know I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own it. I'm going to claim it. And it's just the way I feel about this team. And a couple of the other team members immediately chimed in and said, why do you think you feel that way? And he said, I realize I'm always the contrarian. Whatever you guys throw up, I've always got an opposite, usually 180 degree opposite opinion and i voice it and I, I see a lot of eye rolling i see a lot of frustration i see a lot of body language that's not good and he said truthfully it's interesting we're doing this exercise right now i'm thinking about asking for a transfer i just don't think i fit here anymore and to the man and lady the team said no please right. do not do that right. we right. love your challenge yeah, this makes us a better team. The fact that you are willing to be that voice and you might feel like the lone wolf. But if we've never said we appreciate you, now's the moment. We will do a much better job of letting you know how much we value what you do and do not please do not transfer. So, so when building a team. <clears throat> go back into the sports analogy, right? So I was a baseball player and. So you normally start up the middle. You have a, you have a catcher and your shortstop and your center fielder being your best athletes. Let's just let's just say that, right? It may not always be true, but you don't want nine shortstops, and you certainly don't want nine catchers, and you certainly don't want nine center fielders. You need people with complementary skills, and even those that are able to challenge those skills. Like yeah. uh, you're not going to ask your catcher to steal many bases. Right. It, it, nor does he need to. So or you don't need 11 quarterbacks on a team. In fact, if you had 11 quarterbacks, you wouldn't have a very good team. Right. Who's going to block? Yeah. Who's, Everybody who's has go a role. The ball? Who's going to be doing whatever they need to. So building your team. But, but there are some things that you do need in your team. You need people that are curious and you need people that are willing. I love the curious folks and the challenging curious folks. Want to know more. Yeah. Right? And when yeah. you have a contrary point of view than mine, I want to know more about yours. Why? There's a couple of reasons. The first one is that whether I agree with your view or not, your information is going to make me smarter. I will have more information now. But the second, if I actually spend the time to listen to your point of view, 
it starts from being in this hostile position. No, I don't think so. But when I start listening to you, your shoulders drop a little bit. You become a little more open. I provide you with grace. In most cases, you will provide me with that same grace when I have an opposite point of view as well. And that's how to, how to build a team. So communication is a big piece of this. And it's often overlooked. And, and learning how to disagree without being disagreeable or say what you mean without being mean, right, are important parts of, of helping build this team. I don't want everyone just agreeing with me. If they all did, I wouldn't need them. We can only, if we only have my idea, we're only as smart as I can be. And we are smarter than me. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Thanks. I'll tell you what, Scott, on that note, we're going to take a short commercial break. And folks, when we come back, and please hang with us, we've got a lot more to cover on this idea of, gee, I thought I was a leader. We'll be right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and my Scott, uh, my Scott today, my guest today is Scott DeLong. Uh, we're uh, talking about uh, his new book, and as I've said now, I guess now it'll be the third time. I love the title, I Thought I Was a Leader. And, and boy, if that's not probing and, and uh, thought-provoking. Um, one thing before we get into more detail on some of your elements, I do want to ask one question. This comes up for me, especially when I'm dealing with leaders in larger organizations. Inevitably, somebody's going to ask the question, how do I manage up? And I, I, I've got some thoughts on that, but I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to ask you just that right. raw question. What would you say to somebody who's asking the question, how do I manage up? Yeah, I think I think it's important to to learn how to do that. In fact, it's that's when I'm when I'm coaching these vice presidents wanting to be C levels. One of the things that is going to get you into that C level position is your ability to manage up and people's recognition that you'll do a good job of that. So I think it's I think it's important for you to be able to speak your truth. Now, it's not it, not every organization allows that. And that's where we get back into the psychological safety. If psychological safety does not exist, you're going to get less truth from me than otherwise. So the leader's job is to provide that. However, if they don't, I still have the responsibility as, as someone a little lower on the, on the totem pole to be able to bring my ideas to, to light. And Managing up is, a, is, is no different than speaking to a large group. You need to know your audience. What is it that's going to resonate with Doug? How can I approach Doug in a way that is non-threatening? Because if you feel threatened, the first thing that you do is puff up your chest, come forward and, and provide this big barrier that I, I'm not going to be able to get through. So I know I can't do that. So I need to know my audience. What's important to Doug? Is it an analytical approach? Is it a psychological approach? Is it an emotional approach? So understanding the audience first. 
then presenting myself in such a way that I am not threatening and that I'm speaking your language, emotional, psychological, logical, whatever, whatever the situation is, depending on who I'm talking to. I need to be able to speak your language. I'm not talking about English versus Spanish, but you can use that as an example, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so if 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 I'm not speaking, if I go to a foreign country and let's say Germany, because I don't speak German, and I try to explain what I want to eat to a waiter. <laughs> and I just use the English words, but then say them louder and then louder and then louder, which most of us do, right? <laughs> I still don't get what I want to eat. So I need to figure out what is it that I want <clears throat> and is the next thing I'm going to do going to put me in a position to get that thing? Right. And I can't do that unless I know what language you speak. Yeah. Typically, when I'm asked that question about managing up, I I have unilaterally challenged my clients to rethink their expectation. And I, I do that by telling them I, I want to challenge the concept, and, and I'm getting literal, but can you really manage your boss? And I would argue no. In, in the strictest sense of the word, you're never going to manage your boss. However, can you influence? Can you persuade? Can you, you know, guide discussions? Can you inform and in, inspire yeah. your boss? Yes, you can. Yeah. And, and I like your, your idea of the approach on how to do that. First thing is to connect on whatever level they operate on. Yeah. You know, if, if they're analytical or if they're logical or, or uh, just simply um theoretical mm -hmm. you've got to try to connect in, in on that wavelength bring your message that way and then you can open up the doors for more discussion yeah i just call it speak their language yeah it's the language that they're going to understand yeah there's actually a study that was done and i'm i'm drawing a blank right now on on the source it's several years old but it uh the title of it is speaking truth to power mm -hmm. And um, it ultimately presents six different ways that someone who is struggling with the person of authority above them and, and ways you can uh, change the discussion, influence the matter that's in front of you. Well, there's another thing that I give, I give to some clients, but knowing who their bosses are and how they operate and knowing that they are the smartest guy in the room, let's say, right, that, that wants to make the whole command and control decisions. There are times, and this may sound a little subversive, and, and you got to make sure that you're not being subversive, but there are times to build a coalition before you make the presentation to the boss as well. Yeah, that's one of the six in this report. Yeah, that, yeah. that you need to, like, go talk to the other VPs or the other directors, whoever else is in the room. If this person is not going to hear you because they've got all the power and they don't know how to use it appropriately, right? Hearing something in stereo always sounds better than hearing it out of one speaker. Right. Right. Assuming the message is good. Assuming right. the music is good. I'd rather hear it in stereo. That's the way to uh, attract the boss as well. Two or three, you know, one, two or three others like-minded people, knowing that you've got some support and some backup. One, it provides me a little confidence to be able to speak up in this meeting that knowing that someone's got my back. But the other is maybe my idea is not the best. And these people might be able to help me craft that a little bit differently to get to this person over here. Yeah. So I, I like using the teamwork approach as well. 
as long as it's not subversive, like we're talking behind someone's back and we're trying to plot against. And the goal is not get what I want that's best for me to get what we need that's best for us when you're dealing with the team. Right. The uh, that reminds me that same team scenario I was alluding to earlier. I uh, at one point in that meeting, the the team leader made the comment to his group. He said, "Hey guys, remember back in the day we used to listen to decisions and directives that were coming from above, and we always talked about those guys, and they did this, and they yeah. did that." He said, guess what? We are them. <laughs> Us and them. Right. We are now them. So what can we do to not be those guys? You know, and, well, and so so part of part of that is so we, there's two there's two questions in there that I've that I heard. The first one is how to break down the us versus them. The credit department as antagonistic to the sales department, right? The, the we are a organization a singular organization, and how do we break those barriers? And, and my, my suggestion, in fact, the studies that, I, that I've done, and my, my doctoral dissertation was based on this, is building trust between interdepartmental groups. And, and the best way to take the antagonism out of that relationship is to listen to them, find out what is important to them. Not debate. I used to go through this concept that said, okay, hey, we're always able to discuss, debate, uh, uh, and sometimes we can even argue we should never fight. I totally disagree with that now. I don't think it needs to be a debate. I think the debate becomes counterproductive. You have your idea. I have mine. I'm not going to talk you into mine by stepping over yours and, and escalating the conversation. How I can get you to change your thoughts, or maybe you change mine, I'm not sure what's best for us yet, is to enter into dialogue. Dialogue is a discussion between us. That, yeah. and, and, and for me to actually really hear you, not just listen, but hear you, and understand as much as I can from your point of view what matters to you. Your shoulders will drop. You'll be more at ease. We will be able to get into dialogue that way. And it is incumbent upon me to be the first one to do that. I know so many people that want to go into a, a, a contract and start putting their points out, right? They're, they're making their points and, and being first to say and and, and getting the, that, that the foothold in there. And I say just the opposite. If you want to win, let them speak. Yeah. And yeah. really listen to them. You will not only gain more information, some of that information, if, if you want to be antagonistic, you use against them in some way, you can outflank them. Some of that information may inform your ideas so that you can be a little smarter and you can present what's better for us. And some of them may just may end up being, huh, I hadn't thought of it that way. You're right. Let's do that. But can right. we add this to it, right? And then we get into that discussion and, and we end up having a better deal. I'm not a big fan of compromise. You know, Congress has to. That's what they do because they're not going to collaborate. Yeah, they're not good at it. But they're not anyway. good at it, right? <laughs> and, 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 but that's the only chance they get is to get into the other side as opposed to seeing what the other side has to offer to make our idea better. Yeah. And, and as you it's were not describing a huge difference, all that, but it's a difference. Yeah. As you're describing all that, that's the thought that was going through my mind. Boy, the world has just lost the ability to do that. Yeah. And it, when an issue arises 
you know, people are quick to run to their circle or their camp, wherever they are. And I'm reminded, uh, oh gosh, it's been several years now, but it was during one of the election cycles. I was part of a community group. We had two people come and and do a little bit of a debate or discussion. And, you know, one was Democrat, one was Republican. We were anxious about what this was going to turn into, but we've, we were pleasantly surprised. These two guys were local operatives in each party, but, and, and therefore they knew each other pretty well mm-hmm. because they had been doing it for years. But what they presented publicly was an amazing demonstration of what you're talking about. The ability to, be prompted by the other to answer a question about a position or a thought or an idea and then counter that with whatever your particular bent on that was but it was healthy it was informative yeah. it 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 uh, you know we all sat back like you said shoulders dropped and everybody went this is not how our political so, system works so so take that politics example into <clears throat> the uh the 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 family dining room at Thanksgiving. I know so many families that say, oh, we don't talk religion or politics at, at Thanksgiving. Why? Well, because it always turns, it doesn't have to. And it doesn't have to if we have willing participants that are actually curious about what the other person thinks and why they think that. One of the ways that I use to 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 engage in this dialogue is say, huh, I don't see it like that. Help me understand. Like, that's an invitation to hearing them. Help me understand. Doesn't do me any harm to understand their point of view. In fact, it enhances my knowledge, knowing another point of view. I didn't see it like that. We walk through the world with blinders on. We see what we see. We get this confirmation bias that we continue to see more of what we already believe and then believe there's more fact. I'm telling you, there is another set of facts out there. There's another interpretation of this set of facts out there. And if I want to really be this lifelong learner that I claim to be, I need to find out from you, my counterpart, the person that doesn't think like me, what else is there? What am I missing? Help me understand. Can you tell me more? Can you explain how that works? I don't see it like that. Here's what I see. And then they, if they get curious and back, then we have a fun conversation. Not the, you're wrong, you're wrong. They're not wrong. It's how they see the world. Yeah. Understand how they see the world gives you more strength, more ability to influence. Yeah. I avoided the word power there. It does give you more power, but I avoided the word because the power is an often misused tool. Yeah, I agree totally. Well, and in in modern thinking in the so-called realm of emotional intelligence, it it takes a person that has done some work in that space mm-hmm. to be able to answer those or ask those questions yeah. without getting that emotionally charged response to something. It's actually a chapter of my book is on emotional intelligence and a lot's been written about it. And in fact, most of the people that I come across think they're pretty good at it. They're not. No, (laughs) they they may be good at pieces of it. Right. So a lot of people are really good at especially people that have done well in business and or politics or wherever, whatever their career is. The part that they are good at is reading the room, seeing what you're thinking and all that. So, So that's part of it. And most people are okay at that. 
what they're not as good at is reading themselves. Right. Understanding what triggers they have and not controlling those, but managing those triggers. I use an example of, uh, uh, I ask people all the time, I said, well, do you know what the, you know what a pipe bomb is, right? It's this thing that explodes and everybody, all this destruction. Do you know the difference between a tea kettle and a pipe bomb? There's only one. It's a little vent at the top of the tea kettle that lets the steam out so it doesn't ex expand and explode. Yeah. Right? And, and so therefore, if I want to put a cap on you and your thoughts, you're going to end up exploding at some point, some way, right? As opposed to letting some of the steam out. Let's talk about it. Let's get into dialogue. Let's find out what matters to you. It does a lot for me to find out what matters to you. Like, it, it, let's say you work for me, right? And I pay you market rate, but the other guy over there is going to offer you, you know, seven, 10% more. And the difference between he and I, or she and I, is that you know I care about you, your thoughts, things like that. You're not even going to look at that offer. That's so why I talked about turnover at the beginning of this, this leadership approach and showing care and concern for the people that work with me. There's no reason for their resume to be on the street. Now, it right. uh, doesn't mean that's from cradle to grave, you know, kind of a, 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 I may not have the opportunities that you need. And, but if I provided you the tools and you will get a better job, I need to patch you in the back and say, congratulations too. Right. That's, that's important as well. Right. As long as I continue to have the opportunities that you need, and I'm this type of leader that I talk about, and that we're doing good work in the world, meaning the product that we have is something you believe in, your resume is not on the street. You're sticking around. Yeah. Why yeah. would you go anywhere else? For a couple extra bucks? Probably not. No, I agree. Well, Scott, this has been great, and we're unfortunately up on time here, but thank <laughs> you so much. I, I mean, we could, we, we probably need to do another episode here down the road, but uh, a lot going on, and really appreciate your insights. Tell folks how they can get a hold of you or uh, the book and all your good information. Well, the book's going to be mostly distributed on Amazon. I am going to be self-publishing. There's a lot of reasons for that, and I'd like to talk about that someday as well in self-publishing versus going to the publishing world. Um, but it's going to be available uh, strictly on Amazon in, in three versions initially, and then we're going to be doing an audio version as well, probably about a month later. It's releasing on January 17th. Um, it, the book is, is titled, I Thought I Was a Leader. Wait till you read the first line in the book. Uh, you'll, I finished that statement, right? Yeah. Um, probably not appropriate to say on your show right now, but um, read read through that. But I thought I was a leader. It's a, a journey, and it's really my journey and some of my clients' journeys on building trust, developing teams, and inspiring change. Very good. Very good. Uh, I certainly look forward to it. And honestly, by the time we get this uh, released, your book will already be available. Ah, so okay. uh, we'll um, we'll have that out. But um, uh, what what's the best way people can get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more? Honestly, the, the best way is through my email. It's just scott at lead to goals, L-E-A-D, the number two goals, G-O-A-L-S dot com. Okay, uh, and I am very responsive. Uh, okay, I, you won't be sitting in my inbox. 
Um, Good. I, I make sure I respond to people. Well, we will definitely have all that information in the show notes, folks, if you didn't catch it on the fly there. But one last time, Scott, thanks so much for your sharing. It's really been um, really been good information. Well, thanks, Doug. I appreciate the opportunity, and, and, and I, I enjoyed the conversation as well. So that was great. Likewise. Likewise. So, folks, we are going to wrap it up. I'd like to remind everybody, if you're listening to this show on your favorite streaming service, we do have an episode uh, video over on YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, take a look, leave us uh, a like or a comment. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm a big boy. I, I can take it either way. But uh, uh, leave us your feedback. And if uh, you know someone or you yourself are interested in being a guest, Go to my website, and there's a link there to um, inquire about being a guest and just uh, let us know your interests. We look forward to talking with you. And for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye. Have a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.